Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the world headquarters, Sweet Bee Studios, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. What's up, everybody? This is Quentin. Hope your week's doing good. And well, if you're listening to this, it will be possibly Monday morning will be the first day it comes up. So hopefully your Monday's good. And this this episode is a continuation of our listener guest series. I've got so many of these. I think after this one, I still have at least two or three more to load. But listen, this one is with a cat named Ed McGill, man, Strong Island. He's a lifelong New York Mets fan, and this one was a fun one to do. Um, it, it really, really hits home with like some good nostalgia, baseball, and family. He tells an absolutely phenomenal story about him and his father. And honestly, I was honored that he, you know, took the time to tell it to me on my podcast, you know, because this is just some, you know, podcast that some dude records, you know, right next to a closet in a corner room next to a uh, guest bathroom. And I, I couldn't believe he told it to me, man. I'm eternally grateful that he did. And like, this one's a good one. You know, if you're like, that's what this, you know, podcast is all about is bringing people together you know, remembering the good times to make the current times better. And th- this podcast does it. So I really, really hope you like it. This is Ed McGill. And before we get into the podcast, this one again is brought to you by my good buddy Max at Hood Hat. American made. They are made in New York. 100% merino wool. The color absolutely pops. You know the deal, man. But there's just something special about a hat, man. I Like my... When I was a kid, I always wanted to wear a hat because my old man always wore a hat, right? He worked construction. And he wore a hat, not because he wanted to look cool, because he fucking had to. You know, he he was sweating his tail off all damn day long. And that's one of the things, you know, that I'm eternally grateful for, you know. So, you know, having a family of my own, you know. He's always sort of, you know, taught me the value of hard work. So when I put on a hat, you know, it's not really just for looks. But if it's the right hat, you know, it brings on those same feelings of nostalgia. You know, it just makes me feel good to put one on. You know, so many days I'll go in the garage and work on some stuff for my 20-month-old daughter, and I'll just put on a hat and crack a beer because it feels good. And that's what Max's hats are all about. You know, his brand motto is never leave it behind, and they're just really meaningful hats. You know, it's it's beyond just, you know, a team, but it's really about, like, you know, the neighborhood that you grew up in because you can get them customized if you wanted to. But also, like, for example, if you were a Philadelphia Phillies fan, you could get a hat that said the vet on it. And that's what it's really intended to do. You know, it's it it's it tells us the hats tell the story beyond the actual game of baseball. Where if you were a Phillies fan and maybe grew up going to the vet, or if you grew up going to like Three Rivers or Riverfront, or you know, wherever it may be, you know, those times you had with, you know, your mom or your dad or both of them, you know, going to the game, coming home, eating hot dogs and stuff like that. That's what his hats are about. You know, they're beyond the game of baseball and they're really just I feel like his hats are about life. They really are. But I've uh, so Hood Hat, you can go to hoodhat.com, check out his hats. You can find him on my Instagram at hoodhatusa. But he's Max, the guy that runs Hood Hat. Dude, he's one of us. He truly is, man. I think he's, he's, I'm 38. I think he's like 41 or 42 or something like that. And he's, he's just, you know, he's driven by family, driven by love, driven by nostalgia. And it's like they're great hats, they're great built hats, and they tell a phenomenal story. And the guy that makes them is a, a sweetheart of a dude. And that's, you know, one of the things that I like most, you know, is to buy stuff and support people that I really like. But either way, um, check him out, hoodhat.com, uh, Instagram, at hoodhat. But let's get to the interview with uh, Ed McGill. I hope you guys enjoy and have a phenomenal rest of the week. Right on. Here it is.
Yo, Ed, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Chilling, man. I'm watching the Cubs play the Mets, man. Are you a Mets fan or a Yankees fan? Dude, I am I am huge, huge Mets fan. I'm sitting there watching this game. Oh, yeah, me drinking too. Drinking a fucking, yeah, drinking a, drinking a Miller High Life and drinking some Shaw and hanging out with my dog. How about that? Hell, yeah, dude. Dude, that's a good evening, man. And, you know, you got, I'm like you, man. I keep a routine when I watch ball games. So, I'm all about, I got to have a steady dose of nicotine and I got to have a good beer. Yeah. I went to Illinois yep. in, uh, like in April, and I came back with two cases of Stag. It's just a really <laughs> grimy beer that you can feel good about. <laughs> it's the shit, man. That's it. You feel good and bad about it at the same time. It's amazing. Hell yeah, man. So when I'm watching the Cubs, I'm like, listen, give me like six Stags for the first three innings because it depends how things are going, yep. you know, because as a Cubs fan and sure. a Mets fan, listen, we got a lot in common. Like, yeah, you guys have – you know, more World Series, like 69 and 86. And the 86 team is legendary. But, like, we got oh, a – Listen, we got a rough go at it, man. Being a Cubs fan and a Mets fan, like, this shit is rough for us, dude. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. And I guess, um, you know, those old-timer Cubs, you know, they've got a bit of a grit because of 1969, the whole black exactly. thing. <laughs> going over the dugout and ruining it. And, and then that's uh, surge ahead and, and, and take the uh, – take the whole damn division and whatnot and the way we go to world championship craziness. But this game's good tonight. Who's this kid Hendricks that was that was fucking throwing darts tonight? Who was he? Listen, so Kyle Hendricks, man, he's been a Cub since 20... Um, you know, since 2015, he's had a steady spot in the rotation. So when the Cubs played yep. the Mets in the 2015 uh, NLCS, he was the yep. fourth starter... Because they had a guy named okay. Jason Hamill that well, got cut out for the fifth. So he was the fourth starter. But then he came out in 2016 and ended up getting, like, second in Cy Young voting. Dude, it's like some of the top guys with the lowest ERA since, like, 2016 are, like, Scherzer, DeGrom, Clayton Kershaw. And Kyle Hendricks is always in right. that mix, but he's not a big strikeout guy. He's just a huge contact guy. Like, if you ever watched, like, TBS back in the day with Greg Maddox, you could get your Greg Maddox fixed with Kyle Hendricks, dude. He just throws like he's not even trying, and he gets guys out. He's, his fastball is 89 miles an hour. <laughs> so just straight-up precision strike strike zone thrower and just, just brings – I mean, it didn't seem like he was throwing a lot of heat there, just just on point and confusing the Mets a little bit. I mean, hell, you, you guys got to take a game of this, I mean, because we, we whipped you up pretty good here three games in a row, and – and you guys kicked our ass at Wrigley earlier this year. So, hey, man, this is, I guess, um, you got to take one of these here. And I feel bad because my buddy's actually at the game tonight, my buddy Kyle, who I go way back with the Mets with. Um, he's a 15-year buddy of mine, and uh, he lives in, in uh, Aiken, South Carolina, and he flew up with, like, his son, who's around 8, 9, 10 years old. He flew up tonight to come to this game and, and watch, and I feel bad because he's Fucking Mets aren't scoring any runs for him, but whatever. He's having a good time. He's sending me pics from the from the uh, stadium and stuff, and having a grand old time over there with his son. First time he's at a ball game with his son, so it's pretty cool, dude. That's a that's a big moment, man. I remember the first time I went into Wrigley, dude, and it was just amazing. So I imagine his kids like walked in. The first thing I noticed when I walked into a ballpark for the first time was just like the green grass and like the vastness of it, you know? Because when you're a little kid, you just play on little league fields, and it just looks amazing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I, absolutely. Going to shave for the first time when I was real little, I just uh, it, it, I did. I remember coming out of the car. I was like, "Wow, it's a big blue toilet." <laughs> and we get inside, and it's like, "Wow!" I, I felt like I was inside of like a spaceship or some shit. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. 
that was just I couldn't get over how huge and and just colossal the, the whole experience was for me, man. That was a long, long time ago, though. Dude, I, I mean, like Shea Stadium, though, like there's so many. Like I grew up in the bottom part of Illinois, and there's so many yep. stadiums. Like I wish I would have been able to go to, like Shea Stadium. Listen, what ye- what year did you go to Shea Stadium? How old are you? I'm 41. Dude, so and, you probably um, so what I, year was it when yeah, you went to I, Shea for the first time? That was actually, believe it or not, it, it was it was 86 for, uh, of all years, right? And and I remember my actually went to the first game with my mom. Okay, she had hell a, yeah. a, a friend of hers. Yeah, she had a, a friend of hers from work that uh, had scored some tickets, and uh, my mother got a hold of them, and we went. My sister and I, and my mom, and my uh, my mom's friend from work, and we we go to Shea for the first time ever in my life. Um, and like I got to described, it was huge. It was gravitas. It was going to a big, huge game and a big stadium and lapping in my little league field. But my my biggest memory from that, I, I can't tell you who won the game. I couldn't even tell you who the Mets were playing that night. But my biggest memory from that whole experience was like, like I guess in the alleyways and in, in, in the corridors, they had like, um, you know, you, you pay a couple bucks and get a cool little Polaroid. So it was a Polaroid. Of of like cardboard cutouts of like Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter with his big, big fro, curly fro. Oh out hell of yeah! His, out of his helmet, out of his nacho helmet, and um, and I just those those are like really my only memories of that game. But I remember being there with my mom. I remember the actual game itself. You know, parking lot, huge big stadium, the big blue toilet, and just feeling like I was part of something that's larger than life. And then I mean, I was born in '79, so I was five six at the time um yeah actually you know what yeah i turned a month late i have a november birthday so i was born november of 79 so i think a month later i turned uh six right i i'm really bad at, at little math like this but Wait, if you're yeah, born in so, 79 at 86 real- you would have turned seven Correct. Yeah. That, there you thank go. You, math genius. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, motherfucker. Me. <laughs> math quiz. Son. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. Because I remember growing up, I forgot how old I was. Because you forget when you're a little kid sometimes. And I always remember like the year I was, the the age I was turning was always the new year ahead. Like I'm born in November, so like two months later it becomes the next year, and that's the age that I have. So um, anyway, that's that. But yeah. That was my first experience going to a game with mom uh, when I was uh, six, turning seven. Dude, those '86 Mets were so good. Like, dude, I mean, Kevin Mitchell uh, was even on that team. Uh, then you got Wally, ba- you got Lenny Dykstra and Wally yeah. Backman up at the top, and then you get the Keith, Daryl, yep. Gary Carter in the lineup. Mookie Wilson would be in the lineup. I mean, just legends, dude. Legends on that whole team. Like, I uh, think that's probably one of the best teams ever because there were guys on that team that could hit with power. Like, Gary Carter could hit with power. Daryl Strawberry could hit with power. But like Wally yep. and Lenny at the top of that lineup, you know, they were a problem for people. Huge problem. They were. They were. They were definitely spark plugs at the, at the top of that lineup, and they were gritty as all hell, which I love about them. Man, they'll they'll take right in there. They'll they'll intimidate the shit out of you. They'll they'll run you over if they have to. They'll get all dirty. Never did those guys ever have a clean uniform, Wally or Lenny. No. That's just the way that they played. It's fucking great. It's throwback. Dude, you can see and, us anymore. Hell no, it. man. And one of the things I love about <laughs> you know watching... what I miss too. What's Dude, that? This, this is a huge thing. A huge thing I miss about baseball in the seventies and the eighties and going into the nineties. It's dudes getting into the box and doing like the crouch down stance. 
You never oh, see that anymore. Oh, no. Lenny. Guys like crouching, trying to get low. Oh. Dude, it's done, man. You never see that. I, I really don't understand why. I mean, have you figured that out? You're, you're, you're a connoisseur here. What are your thoughts, man? Why don't dudes crouch down and, and hit the ball anymore? Listen, Juan, so so, Juan Soto will do it. Listen, Juan Soto, he's the one guy I can think of that will get low in the box, and he consistently keeps an over 400 on base percentage, so he knows what he's yeah. doing. <laughs> but otherwise, man, it's like – I think a lot of it is because there's not so much of a premium on getting a walk and stealing a base. So guys like Lenny and Wally yep. and Ricky, like they're just like, listen, I'll take the walk or I'll take the single. I don't care because if you put me on, I'm going to swipe bags no matter what. And like that's about the mm -hmm. only thing I can think of because the game has changed so much. And a lot of it is because like advanced data is like don't steal because if you're going to be successful at it through 162 game span you got to steal like 70 percent of the time but i also think a lot of it is catchers these days are also a lot better than they were then right like all these dudes are bigger faster stronger so i think it's too like it's harder to steal a base and with all the launch angle craze and stuff like that like i can't think of a huge power hitter that crouch down low. Like if I think of guys that get low, it's like Pete Rose, right? He didn't hit a lot of home runs. Ricky right. Henderson, he Ricky had three seasons where he hit like over twenty five. That's what yeah. it is, man. Like if you see Tony Gwynn in the box, like that dude, you know, he was all about making contact and he would even get a little lower for him in the box. But otherwise, I think a lot of it's just because, you know, home runs. But hell, you gotta figure a lot of guys in the league now. I mean, I don't know about that, but I know when I was a kid and I remember when 1998 rolled around. I mean, some of my favorite players growing up past like that, because I was born in 83. So, like, when I look back at, like, that 86 Mets team, a lot of that is just, like, on this week in baseball, you know, stuff from, like, YouTube and, like, rewatching it and stuff. So, a lot of the Which guys— Which was an incredible show with, with Mel oh, Allen announcing oh. it. How good. How good. The music, oh, man. man. Listen, I should have got married to that <laughs> theme song, dude. Yeah, that, 100%. That music, it, it makes— that music makes you want to run through a wall. It's so like it's so Dude, riveting. Literally, so good. It's, it's just shit. But I think like by the time, so my brother was born in '79 as well. So I get like the age gap between me and you because I was in '83 and you were born in '79. Yep. That's a that is a significant like turning point because when you were going to games in '86, like that would have put me like '89, '90, '91. So some of like my favorite teams initially growing up were like some of the Braves on TBS. And when those guys started to mm. go, it was like Ron Gant, Dave Justice. And then like in 93, when they got Fred McGriffin, all those guys were hitting home runs. So when I would go right. to Little League, I'm like trying to be the right-hand David Justice. And I'm standing tall with my bat <laughs> over my head because all I gave a shit about as a kid was like anytime I got in the box, I was like, I need my bat high over my head because I'm trying to hit bombs right now. And that's so it. I think that's, that's probably what did. Like, <laughs> Ron Gant comes to the Braves, dude, and he's got these big arms. So, like, my mom had a set of DP dumbbells she got from Walmart. So I would do bicep curls while I'm watching the game because I'm just trying to get huge, man. <laughs> trying to get bigger. <laughs> Hell, yeah, that's all I cared about, dude. And I was just like, listen, man, I got to, like, fill up these sleeves on this shirt, and I got to get big for Little League because that's what it was about. <laughs> And, like, I had, I had a pretty good mullet when I was growing up, too. So, like, there was a little bit of, like, a John Cruck feel in there where I was like, listen, let's oh, get this stuff going. But. Sick. Did, did, you, did you have some uh, some peach fuzz for, like, a little, a little mustachio going or no? Hell no, man. I couldn't grow a beard until I was, like, 21, <laughs> dude. But, I, I mean, I have curly hair, so I always had, like, a pretty good, like, Robin Yount-like fro coming out the sides of my helmet and stuff like that. Because, you know, when you're in literally, you got to wear the double ear flap helmet. 
They don't let you wear nacho helmets. Of course. So you so got to grow it, it, it long. That's all they had back then. That was it, man. There were yeah. nacho helmets for Little League. But, back. man, the contact stuff, I think the contact stuff will come back at some point, man. You know, they're getting crazy right now. It's with got like, it. I mean, it's just, you know, all, all, the, all this shit is completely cyclical. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's going to be power years. There's going to be pitching years. There's, there's going to be styles that, that come in and out in terms of, like, we're talking about how people are hitting and, and how it, this, this sabermetrics thing is it, going to cyclical out. And, um, you know, people are, are going to get, you know, I, I don't know what the story is with this shift. I, I can take it or leave it, to be honest with you. But it, if, if anything, it gets gets people talking and it gets people interested, in, in See, my opinion, to be honest with 100%, you. hundred percent, man, because, like, you know, we have this conversation now, and it's like, I think, here's the thing, man, if baseball was forever – you know, getting low in the box and making contact, like maybe it wouldn't be a thing to us, but like now that like when it's sort of gone, like I believe like we get a chance to appreciate it. So I like that baseball goes in different cycles and different eras, you know, like when Javi Baez swings out of his shoes to hit a home run to dead center, I'm like, yeah, like let's get that man. And then it does also (laughs) bring about debate where it's like, listen, should they change their situation and maybe, you know, try to get on base a little more and stuff like that. So I, I like how baseball gets, you know, like cyclical like that. But when it comes to like advanced data, you know, you got guys like Goose Gossage that are just like, this game is bullshit. I can't watch it. But like, <laughs> I feel like when people get like that, they just get, get so off my lawn. exactly, dude. And like, I get what he's saying or whatever. But here's the thing: like, I just don't pay attention to those parts of the games I don't like. Like ESPN will have like that data-driven broadcast where like they'll have different oh, dudes dude, broadcasting dude. the game, and I'm like, dude. I just. I just look for stuff in the game that I like, you know, and it's in there still. Yeah. Like there are guys that make contact and guys that steal bases. You just sort of have to dig for it and appreciate it. And even if more of the game's yep. hitting home runs than contact, well, I just enjoy the game, but I just look look to appreciate parts of the game that I like. Yeah, and and when it comes down to it, it's still baseball. I mean, yeah, granted, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's easy to kind of get upset and, and in the moment get frustrated with it. Like, like just with, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, of what they did um, with the strike, not, excuse me, not the pandemic shortened year last year with uh, these seven inning double headers with, with, with the dudes on second base and extra innings. It just, you know, it, I was joking with my buddy with my group text because we all have group texts. And I was like, Jesus, this is like, major league softball here is getting out of hand and it's ridiculous, but you know, eventually, um, you know, when things change like that, you get frustrated and, and you just kind of want to throw up your hands and, and, and discuss that at the beginning. And then you get used to it and then, and then you kind of get accepting of it. And then you just kind of like, Oh, you forget about what it was like in the old days. And you just kind of used to it beforehand and, and it's okay. And, and um, I don't know. I just, I don't know if they're going to adapt those changes permanently. I don't know if they're going to bring the DH to the National League. Um, I'm just kind of whatever about it, to be honest with you. I just loved watching baseball, and I, you know, that's the bottom line there for me. Yeah, dude, I agree with that. Like for me, baseball, and it sounds like it is with you too. Baseball to me is more than the game. You know, like Craig Kimbrell's about to come in for the bottom of the ninth inning against the Mets. And if I wasn't recording this podcast with you, I would open a stag, light a fucking parliament, and just like, you know, just get nervous, man. I would smoke half a pack of parliaments before he gets to the inning. And that's what it is. It's the experience with me, man. Like, I talk, I'm talking that's to you so right good. now. Yeah. 
Listen, we've only talked. Yep. This is only the second time we've ever talked, man. But, like, we get to share funny moments around baseball. So when it comes to, like, the shift and the DH, I'm like you, man. I don't really know if I give a shit if the National League ever has a DH because the game, to me, is an experience. You know, when you described going to Shea Stadium and the only thing you remembered were the Polaroid cameras and about how this field was just so amazing. <laughs> like, that's what it's about, man, you know? So if you want to yeah. have a DH yeah. in there or not or – whatever or you know you want to keep these guys from greasing up the baseball so much listen do whatever you want to do i just want to have a good time just want to watch a baseball game and i am so you so you were a cups fan growing up did you but i i recall just listening to your, your previous podcast you were closer to st louis and and push stadium over there and, and so you went to a lot of those games growing up did you wait for the cubs to come in town and go watch them play or or what are your memories of, of going to Bush Stadium or any of the stadiums? Listen, really I, listen to this. So I probably have more memories growing up of St. Louis Cardinals players in Bush Stadium way more than yeah. I do Wrigley Field and the Cubs because my brother was a Cardinals fan. But my grandpa, who lived across the street, um, he was a Cubs fan and my dad was a Cubs fan. But because me and my brother were only like three and a half years apart, it was a lot of like, you know, I learned like – a lot, a lot. Like my dad taught me the game of baseball, but when it comes to like baseball yep. card and collecting and riding bikes to the card shop, like my early memories are with my brother. So if sure. you ask me about baseball growing up, you would think I was a Cardinals fan because I could mm. name way more eighties Cardinals than I could the Cubs, man. And I have such like, a dude, I have such a nostalgic love for those eighties Cardinals teams. You're talking Ozzy, Willie McGee, Jose Akendo, Tommy Hurd, John Tudor, Joe McGrain. Like I can name them all, even up to like Bernard Gilkey, Coleman, Bernard, uh, Bernard innocent, Gilkey, Gilkey. Gilkey. Oh he was God, a bad yes. man. <laughs> he was a, he was a fuck. Hell yeah, dude. Whitey Herzog. Whitey, dude. Yeah. yeah. All of those guys, they mean way more to me than what any of those 80 outside of Mark yeah. Grace and Ryan Sandberg. And, and, and all they of were, those guys mean more and, to me. Now, won't forget the Mets and the Cards had, had had a big rivalry too in in the yeah. mid eighties because oh, yeah. you know let, let, let's not forget that I mean legend has it that the, the Mets did Whitey thirty and they cut him loose he was in line to get the the manager job right around the time that Davey Johnson came around and or maybe a little before that my time might be off but I know that he was in the Mets organization and they were looking to move him up and 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 they either cut him loose or they 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 bumped someone ahead of him and he just kind of got frustrated so but by the time that his Cardinals you know became relevant and they were good in the mid 80s and that rivalry with the Mets came about he was out for blood man he was after that organization and wanted to win over them at no cost so that I, that's definitely brought some fuel to the fire with that rivalry in the eighties. So definitely, dude. I don't think I knew about Whitey Herzog in the Mets because the only thing I remember yeah, of him yeah. was he was at. So yep. maybe so was he with the Mets and then did he go to the Royals and then the Cardinals? Is that how that went? Yep. I okay. Yeah. Again, my, my my timeline might be off in terms of specific years, but I know that he was in the Mets organization at some point. And uh, forgive me because I read it so long ago, but you talked about it in one of the previous podcasts that, that book by Jeff Perlman, The Bad Guys Won. It, it talks about that because there's a chapter or two about setting the stage for 86, and they're talking about the years that led up to that. And it does mention Whitey and, and how um, you know he felt the Mets did him dirty and, oh. and uh, promoting others ahead of him and or cutting him loose outright. But he, he, he lived up there bitter and disdained and by the time the Cardinals were good he's like fuck you Mets I'm coming after you oh dude which is which is which is a cool story yeah hell yeah that's in the book uh the bad guys one that's the Mets World Series book 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think you were talking about it in your podcast with Daniel. Um, uh, I want to say, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it it is it is mentioned in that book, and that's a hell of a book. I remember reading that one afternoon in the middle of Central Park in New York City. Just I I, I peeled off like four and a half five chapters just sitting there. Beautiful sunny day. Just when I when I think about that book, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Sitting there in Central Park reading it one afternoon but great book all all the howling stories of that crazy fucking animal team that, that won the world series in 86 and <laughs> and uh was was absolutely relentless to win that world series and they didn't give a shit who got in their way they were they were kicking them down right in the face and whatever it takes and and it, it, it's funny you know I, I talk about that team in such with such nostalgia um because you know that's really the year that made me a baseball fan, made me a Met fan. And I remember just like after them winning, I was like, you know, in, in, in my six, seven year old head, um, wow, my team wins every year. This is fucking great. Oh, you know, yeah. they're, they're going to, I, I just remember thinking, wow, I'm a Mets fan. The Mets just won their old series. This is going to happen every year. There's nobody could beat the Mets because they're the Mets. And it just, that's, they're my team. They're going to win every year. And, and, uh, and that was that. I just remember being, so proud to be a Mets fan after they won it all. And it just, that definitely set the groundwork for me for, for a lifetime of misery and, and hurt <laughs> from this team. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm loyal. I still worship that team to this day. And here they are losing 2 nothing against the Cubs in the ninth inning. But I am locked in as I talk to you, my friend. Listen, isn't there <laughs> there's some sort of beauty in rooting for a team that breaks your heart? Like, I don't know if I oh, could be a Cardinals oh, yeah, fan right. or a Yankees fan. Because so many, I have a memory. So in 2003, which I guess I was about a year out of high school, me and my dad are watching the 03 NLCS, and that was the Bartman game where the Marlins were playing the Cubs oh, and God. shit hit the fan. Oh, and it's geez. like, so I remember my dad threw the remote control. He was so pissed off. And I was just like, what the <laughs> fuck just happened? And there's so many yeah. good memories Great. I have around just like, horrible baseball and I just sort of like it because I feel like I root for an underdog and it's good it's like you know the Cubs and the Mets right they're rocky and then all the good teams are like Ivan Drago and like you're gonna beat him one day but it's like those teams to me man (laughs) one day because they're all you will have your day to shine Listen, I couldn't believe when the Cubs won the 2016 World Series. My grandpa died in 09, but like my dad's still alive. So yep. that was like a pretty special thing. And like I remember when my grandpa was dying, he was on like a ventilator, so he was completely out. Yeah. And I would go in there, dude, and read him the box scores. And it was like wow. the way he loved like and I would like tell him the highlights and stuff like that, but I don't think he heard me, but if he did, you know, yep. God bless. But no, I just no, like that's, 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 that's heavy, man. It was always just like every summer just looking forward to it, you know, like it could be this year. And yep. Like I'm not going to lie, after the Cubs won the 2016 World Series, now granted we're like, what, five years removed? I'm not a good mathematician, I fooled you. I like, <laughs> I my like, my love for the Cubs sort of drained a little bit because it was like, oh, sure. now what next? Like they won. Like yep. now what do I look forward now to? Now they won. Not, not, yeah, yeah. I see how you feel that And then way. now you like, know, you, you, you... oh no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just making connection a little bit with, with, with your grandfather and, and, and the Cubs. Um, you know, my dad passed away from, from cancer in, in 2006, which was a, which was a pretty good year for the Mets. And they went to the NLCS 
And, um, you know, I have great memories growing up with my dad, watching the Mets, going to games with him, hanging out, mm-hmm. just, you know, like you said, kind of re- reviewing box scores and, and talking about the team left and right all the time. But so he, so he passed away, um, in November of, of 06, probably, probably about a month after, um, the Cardinals beat them. And, and, uh, anyway, long story short, um, I, I took his ashes and I, and I, I brought them to Shea and they, they had just, um, they, they had just broken ground for city field at the time. So I, so I took the ashes and I threw them over the construction fence, like into city field so as kind of a memorial to, to my dad and this team. And, uh, you know, like, you know, he's cremated, so he doesn't have a grave, but, uh, you know, I go to a game now at city field, I'm going to see the old man and, 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 and talk, talk shop with him about the Mets and, and hang out and watch a ball game with him. So, yeah. Dude, big, that, big gives, that gives me goosebumps, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, baseball yeah. and family it's, it's are heavy. so – it, it, it is, and it feels yep. good. Like, that's the stuff that, like, I chase the most. And, like, that's why I don't really care about the shift or the DH, like you said, because it's family like that, man. And when I hear a story like that, like, it fills me with love. And I'm like, that's it. Like, that is what I want, man. And now that, like, I have a daughter who's, like, 17 months old, it's like baseball somehow is a vehicle for – I think just loving, right? And that sounds so cheesy, yep. but you know, when you talk about throwing the ash, and sorry to hear, man, about your father, you know, when you talk about throwing the ashes over that, I'm like, that's true love. And when you talk about the teams, you know, losing and this and that, it's like it gives, like, the, all those Mets teams had such a personality, you know, and it's like they're not winning, but oh, like yeah. they're grinding. And to share those sort of like that sports heartbreak with your dad and then the good times with your dad as well, it's like, Dude, like, that's what it is. And, like, you'll always, through the game of baseball, I feel like it's such a wonderful time capsule for memories. And you'll always have that with your dad when you go to City Field. Dude, I love that story. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's heavy stuff, and, and uh, but, it, but it's real. It, it's real life. And, uh, you know, go to a game, it, it's Angels in the outfield. He's always there with me and, and enjoying it with me. And I, I cherish that. Um, but dude, you're, you're setting a great foundation with your, with your daughter and, and watching games with her. I, I enjoy listening to the stories of, of you pulling up old games on YouTube and kind of sitting her down and watching them with him. And, oh, and yeah. uh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love hearing that stuff. And uh, that, yeah, that's a huge, huge bonding moment between the two of you. And uh, I hope she grows up with memories and stories to tell of those, of, of those, those opportunities with you. Big time. Dude, it just like, rem- like having a kid, it reminds me so much. Like baseball does a really good job of reminding me about the things that like my dad did for me. So even when it comes right. to like baseball, such a big influence on my daughter and like she doesn't like, uh, yeah, I'll put her in front of the TV to watch baseball, but she'll mostly just like throw some toys and stuff like that and go take a dump in the corner. But it's uh, <laughs> like... <laughs> But it just baseball does uh, such Cubs, a good. Wait, wait, hold on, dude. Cubs just won it. Shut out. Congrats. They, they got the W flag oh, flying over God. there. Awesome. I am. Um, <laughs> then I'll shut the game off. You needed to take one of the series. Yep. Womp womp. Dude, the Mets suck. Listen, man. So I want to ask you though. Like I wanted to ask you about Jacob Degrom, but that's not as important right yep. now. So you've just told me a really sure. good family story. What was? So did you grow up in New York on Long Island? Yeah, yeah, I grew up out in uh, Eastern Long Island, um, a little town called Port Jefferson on the North Shore is really where I identify as like my hometown. 
I, I lived there most of my life, not all of it, but just, you know, um, not too far, a good hours plus drive from Shea. Um, and love going to games. I, I played little league. My, actually my older brother was my, my little league coach. He is, he is 13 years older than me. And, um, I bet he kicked your <laughs> ass. <laughs> oh, dude, I got, I got fun stories to tell about that, but he, um, man, he, you know, not to be biased, but fucking best coach I've ever had in my life. I mean, he, he challenged me in so many ways and the different roles that an older brother, uh, can, can play in your life. I mean, coach is what I think of most when I think of my brother, Michael. And so I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny, funny, quick story. Um, I was, I wasn't that good of a player, but I loved playing, you know? <laughs> okay. I, hey, I, I was I about to say, man. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't hit for shit. Um, I didn't like being up at bat. I was always looking for the walk, no matter what. I had a decent arm. Hey, if you're looking the for the field, walk, that's Ricky that Henderson, was, man. Get low, dude. I wish I had that dude's speed and know-how. But I was just some scrub-ass Little League player by the time I hit like, like, like 12, 13. Nice. So, um, so my brother – so funny story where um, – this team that I was on when I was, when I guess it was either 12 or 13, whatever old you are, when you, when you hit the 90 foot field for the first time. And it's like, it's such a jump from like the little league field to like the big field. And, um, the, although I was really awful on, on this, the team I was on was really good. And they, they were, they were, we were stacked with studs and they were, they were, they were playing really well. And I would, they would like hide me in the bottom of the order, you know? Um, but then when they hit you at the bottom of the order, they were like, listen, we need you to bat ninth, man, because you got to bring us yeah. up, you know, when the top of the lineup comes <laughs> up. And you're like, okay, sounds good to me. Because I was told that before. If you could lean into a pitch and take one for the team, we got ice. You know, that's right. That's right. Those dudes. That was just terrible. Terrible. So, um, so funny story. So that team was good. We're in this playoff game, and I'm just intimidated dog you know don't hit the ball to me i don't know i don't want to be i just want to be in the background and i hope i don't get up in a big spot yeah. but sure enough lo and behold it, it, it's a tight game neck and neck and and we're down we're, we're we're down a run bottom of the sixth or i think we played six or seven or whatever it was yeah and and we we got we we got to do it on second base and and the kid pitching um, I'm coming up next to the two outs, classic story. You know, you write a movie about it. And, uh, the kid pitching was this kid named Keith that I went to school with stellar athlete, varsity athlete. As we got into high school, played two, three sports. And it, he, and he's just throwing fucking gas. And I'm like, Oh, I really don't want to face this kid right now. I really want to get a walk. I'm really intimidated. It's all fuck. And I, I get up into the batter's box and the first two pitches just blow right by me. And, you know, strike one, strike two. And my brother's coaching third base, and he is fucking pissed. He calls timeout. He calls timeout. Oh, shit. And I knew I was, I, I knew I was in I knew I was in for it. Oh, yeah. So I, 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 do, I do like the slow trot over there to meet him, you know. <laughs> and, and he just fucking blowtorched me. And he's like, just look at the next pitch. He goes, you're swinging that pitch. He goes, I don't care where it's going. If it's going over the backstop or heading towards your head, you're swinging to the next pitch. Because <laughs> if you don't swing to the next pitch, because if you don't swing to the next pitch, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face right here in front of everyone. <laughs> 
like, I didn't say a word. I was just like, I just took a deep breath and I just, I just walked back to the, I walked back to like the, the, the batter's box, but like, like, like I tell you though, Quinn, something kind of snapped, you know, um, so, so rare in life. We, we have those, you know, those big moments and we know we're in them because so many times I'm sure you could too. You look back at your life and wow, man, a couple of years later, or even a day later or an hour later, wow, that was a big fucking moment. And I stepped up. That was a weird fucking transition for me because I was up against the, up, up against the wall. I got two strikes on me from this kid, Keith, and we're down two outs. We got to do it on second base, the, the, the tying run. And my brother just reamed me out in front of everyone that's how it was and in the 80s, dude. No come. one gave a shit, man. It's like, yo, hit the fucking ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I can come through here. So I just, I got in the batter's box and I just followed his instruction. And the, sure enough, the thing was ripping down the middle, just like the two previous ones before yeah. it. And I did the classic fucking close your eyes and swing. <laughs> <laughs> I made contact. Hell yeah. And I hit a, I hit a goddamn screamer into the gap. And I chugged my fat ass around first, and I got on second base. The guy came around, scored down. The game's tied. Hell yeah! And yes. then, so I'm I'm batting last. So now the now the leadoff guy who can make some contact, he's up at bat now. And I, I'm I'm as nervous as I was hitting the ball. I'm twice as nervous now because I know I'm the winning run. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, fuck, if this guy gets a hit, oh, I, I was hoping he didn't get a hit so we go into extra innings so I could stay here and hang out more, you know, and not be on the spotlight. <laughs> so um, anyway, so, of course, he, he hits one into right field, and I got I got, and my brother's screaming at me to go score, and I come chugging around third base, and, of course, I slide around in a tag and we win the game. Hell, yeah. But, like, it was it was such a good moment, man. It was it was huge, and that's like my little league moment. That's my favorite story. My brother were coaching me. Turns out I was just so so lost in in the whole evening. My my mom was there. I didn't even know because I was just so busy playing, and my mom was there, and she and she went up to my brother and just reamed him right out at me. <laughs> And just because like, everyone else is like, hey, way to go, Coach Mike. You got some words of wisdom. Way to go. You go, what the hell did you say to him? And hey, you're great. They're patting him on the back. And my mother's just standing there with her arms folded. She just <laughs> roasted him that day. Jesus. But anyway, funny story. My my brother, my my older brother, Mike, he, 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 when I think of Little League, I think of him. I, actually, I had him in. In, in, in football too. He was my coach in football. Jesus That's Christ, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 There was, there was, there was, it was cause he went to, um, like I've told you, he's a little older than me. So he went to Lenore Ryan college in Hickory, North Carolina. Okay. Um, but I think he graduated around 89. And so from like, and then he moved home and, you know, figure out his life where he's going and stuff. So he was home from like 89 to 92, just, just working jobs and stuff. And he had time to coach. And he, he went to my, one of my little league games um, when he first got back from college and he was just disgusted at how awful the, uh, the coaches were, were, were doing and how, how bad and fundamentals they were. And um, he was complaining that it came to my mom and she's like, Oh yeah, why don't you coach him next year? <laughs> and kind of, I'm kind of like going to dare to bet for my mother. He's like, well, fuck it. All right, I'll go coach. And, and that was that. Um, and in, again, best, he didn't coach me for very long, but best coach I had, he, he's, he's gone on now. He, he's lived in Charlotte now since 92. 
uh, and he's been heavily involved with Dilworth Little League. He's coached there nonstop since then. Um, he's he's raised three kids. They all played in that league. They all did well and excelled there under his tutelage. And uh, he's been really involved with that. He's been president of the league for a while. Um, he was. Um, I went to Belmont Abbey College in uh, near Charlotte, and uh, he was, you know, in in the early two thousands. And he was, um, I think he was president then or whatever it was. And he got he got me involved with umpiring at that league. He taught me how to umpire, uh, which is some, I can tell you some funny stories of that too. But um, yeah, um, uh, you know, uh, but my dad exposed me to the game um, at an early age and showed me the Mets, taught me the Mets. But really, the ins and outs and uh, the passion of the game, I learned from my brother Michael, and and I am forever in debt to him for teaching me this beautiful game. Dude, my face is hurting after that story. Like, I could just see the other, like, the other people, like, "Hey, what did you say to him?" I said I was gonna fucking kill him if he didn't hit the ball. But that's what baseball does, man. Like, <laughs> I love, I love that your mom chewed him out afterwards. Like, what'd you say to my boy? Oh, she let him I'm gonna kill you. She's like, she's, she goes, she goes. I'm not speaking to you right now as my son. I'm speaking to you as my other son's coach. And she just fucking laid into him. <laughs> Dude, that's what a lot of playing baseball in the 80s was, just like playing out of pure fear. Like when I played baseball, it was like, yeah. yo, I got one time, like my dad was so, like my brother or your brother and my dad, like they remind me of each other because like my dad was, so, dude, was this country guy. I mean, he grew up with an outhouse in his yard. Like this is just a country dude. Like his motto in life is either you get better or you die. He doesn't go to the doctor. Like it's just, he's so hardcore. And like, I, I would play baseball out of just pure fear that I thought I was going to get my ass kicked. Like one time my brother ran me over with the three wheeler ran over my entire body, right? And so when I get up, my dad's walking over to me and my brother, and I'm like, yeah, my brother's about to get his ass kicked. My dad beat my ass because I got in front of the three-wheeler. That's the type of guy he was. <laughs> and I'm just like, what's going on? So that's what a lot of, I think, playing baseball in the 80s was. Like, you played out of pure fear. Like, there weren't fundamentals. Like, keep yeah. your head in the box. Try to make contact. It was like, you hit this damn ball. or You're about to run 20 laps in this field. I don't care if it's 110 outside. You're about to get after it, dude. But also, in all seriousness, yeah. baseball teaches that sort of resilience. Like, even at a young age, there's something about, like, I remember being in Little League like, and if I had a bad game, I would just be like fucking hurt by it, man. Like if I got mm. in the game and like, like I, I, I would pitch, a, a, I remember this being so early on cause those were six inning games. So I would pitch the first three and then a lot of times I would catch the last three. And like, if I had a bad day pitching, yeah. like my confidence would just get zapped where I was like, I don't know if I can play anymore. And I think like that probably you know, that feeling for sure influenced me to like quit baseball by the time high school came around. Cause I was like, I can't do it anymore. Like it would zap my confidence. But so much of that was a learning experience because I can take a lot of those values that, you know, that I learned when I was younger. And even when I was young, if I lost because I quit playing baseball a little earlier or had a bad day, I can remember those memories, like just what you said, right? Like I sort of have similar stories that are like where my confidence was zapped because it didn't turn out good. And I still sure. use those moments like in my life now and like, you know, doing things with my daughter and raising my daughter and stuff like that. Like 
I've learned to be more assertive and confident because now in my life it counts more than anything because I've got a kid who didn't ask to be here. She didn't say, hey, I want that guy to be my dad. I, I picked him out of the whole universe. Like, she didn't pick that man, so she's here sort of not by choice. And I'm like, damn, I can't let her down. And baseball's still been that yeah. vehicle for me. So the story you told was really funny, but it was also like, that was it, man. Like, you were two strikes. Your confidence was zapped. You're like, dude, I just want to go to the dugout. Like, I can't do this sort of <laughs> stuff. And when we get yeah. older, man, like, I know you told me you work in the restaurant industry, man, which is fucking, that's a grind yep. in itself, dude, because you're talking, you know, you could get there at 9 a.m. and leave at 3 a.m. Like, those are all-day things. And yeah. When we get older, yeah, like, sometimes like I just want to quit. I'm like, dude, I want to go to bed. Like, this sucks. And then I think of my dad, mm-hmm. who, when he was like, you know, growing up in the country, he's like, when he tells me he either got better or he died, like, he wasn't joking, man. Like, his tonsils dissolved in his mouth. He didn't have them removed. That happened when he was, like, 10 years old. And that guy, he told me, like, um, fuck, it was, like, two or three months after my daughter was born. He looked at me and he goes, sometimes you got to do things you don't want to do. And I was like, that's it, man. And that's what it was in that moment with yeah. you and your brother. It was like, sometimes you got to do things you don't want to do. And the reward at the end is so good to learn those values in the game of baseball from your brother, where your brother's like, do it, man. Like he may have said it to you in like a way that was really funny because he was probably 20 something years old himself. But like what he meant was you can do this. I wouldn't be telling you this if you couldn't do it. And damn it, you did it, man. And I love that. Yep. It it was the motivation that I needed at the time. I mean, I, it, 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 it scared the bejesus out of me, but like, it's what I needed. And, and he knew that being my brother, being flesh and blood, he knew that's what I needed at that moment to hear, you know? <laughs> and yeah, there you go. It worked. And you know what and I think sometimes it, too? But I, oh, so I didn't mean to interrupt you, man. Go ahead. No, 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 no. All, all good. I was just kind of throwing finesse on the story, but I mean, I just, it, it, it's a bonding moment still with, with my brother and I, you know, that we, we laugh about it now, but, shit man uh, i <laughs> one of our first huge body moments uh, brother to brother uh, i'll never forget it dude it's like one i don't know how to have guests on the podcast so that's why i've interrupted you like five times so my apologies but what i was going to ask you have a conversation listen what i was going to ask you is what you just said because i was going to ask you if those baseball moments had helped kept you and your brother close over the years and it sounds like it has yeah yeah for, for sure it has and i just you know, I love talking baseball with my brother. I mean, we, we don't every time we talk on the phone, it's not always about baseball. Um, but we'll get on we'll get on some some you know the topic of baseball. He, he's got a he's got a, um, a kid in college. I was playing college baseball, and 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 he'll he'll tell stories about how he's doing. And I just you know he'll, he'll kind of go off on rants, and I just you know he'll complain about his coaches and and how he's being handled and whatever <laughs> and playing time and, and whatever. And I I just I know I just need to kind of, kind of just listen in and, and kind of just give those active listening skills that I have and, and um, just just let them let them let them vent a little bit. Um, but you know, it, it's it's all about just this game and, and and the bonding that him and I have shared uh, most definitely through that. And you know, time goes on, and you know, he lives in Charlotte, I live in Long Island, and we're far apart, but. You know, we can talk about baseball, and it's just like we're standing right next to each other. It's great. That I love it. What the story you just like everything you just said over the past ten minutes like reminded me, or I think brought this to light because I realized like when it comes to baseball, like so I'm 
I'm 37. My brother was born in June of 79, so he's about to turn, I guess, 42 because his birthday is June 19th, like the Sunday, like right after Father's Day or something. Oh, that's and like tomorrow or some shit, right? Yeah. I think wow. today's the 17th, so I think he's in a couple days. But what I was getting at is Go like ahead. as me – like so my brother lives in Kentucky. My dad still lives in Illinois. Both of my parents live – they're married still. They live together in Illinois. And yep. then my brother lives in Kentucky, and I'm in uh, just outside of Charlotte on the South Carolina side. So we're so far away. But I realized when you told this story that, like, as all three of us have gotten older and go away from each other, sometimes it's hard to find things to talk about. But I realized over the past, like, you know, five or six years, I think it's baseball that sort of, like, kept us going, you know, because – it's like yep. I could call yep. and have like a superficial, like surface level conversation to my brother. Be like, hey, how are your kids doing this and that or the other, right? I'm not that close to his kids because we live so far away. And it's sort of the same thing with my dad. Like I could call and just be like, hey, what's going on? Okay, talk to you later. But it seems like with both of those guys, it's baseball that gets us like talking on like a deeper level to where like that relationship stays strong. So like my brother and I will text nonstop just about every day about the Cardinals and Cubs and what's going on in baseball. And then the same way with my dad, mm -hmm. where it's like, I'll call my dad. And I'm like, man, what do I really say to him? And I'm like, well, hell, I just call my dad and talk baseball now. And we'll talk about the Cubs doing something stupid or whatever. And then all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, four stroke engines because he's working on a riding lawnmower for somebody. And it's his vehicle to, I guess, like keep close with people. Like, that's what it was with my grandpa too. It was like when he passed, like, so I was sort of like a shit-ass kid in high school, and after high school, I didn't go to college for, like, two or three years. I had a motorcycle yep. and a bunch of earrings, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, my hey, grandpa— Johnny badass. <laughs> that was the style, dude. So it was like—so here's what happened, dude. I graduated high school in 2002. I went to a semester at junior college, which was a fucking mistake because it's basically like high school on steroids. So I would get to JUCO— yep. And my buddies would be sitting there in the lounge, and they'd be like, do you want to leave? Before even the first class started. So we would leave campus oh, at like fuck. 10 a.m., go get a shit ton of beer and do donuts in AutoZone parking lot. And, like, I would just never go to class. And so I, <laughs> I had an S10 that I built in high school. So after college, I traded it to a guy for a Honda F4i. This isn't a fucking joke. I had like five oh. earrings. I dyed my hair blonde. I would wear a do-rag and ride wheelies through town. And I was just an idiot, man. And my grandpa was like, <laughs> I had so many earrings. He would go, I don't know whether to shake your hand or kiss you. And he would just like do shit like that that would sound funny. Because he would be like, well, if, he goes, you need to go to college. He goes, what are you majoring in, pussy? And that's funny to say now, but at the time, like, I was so fucking pissed off because I was like, he's basically telling me I'm a piece of shit. And I was, but I was like, I didn't want to hear it from him. But what sort of brought oh us together? Oh, my God, it's hysterical. I know, right? But what brought us together was, like, baseball because it was in, I think, like, 06 or something. 06 or 0, ah, fuck, maybe, like, I think it was, like, 07 or 08. I don't know, but... It was the Cubs got this catcher named Giovanni Soto, and he had a phenomenal rookie year. Yeah. So I talked to my grandpa yep, one day sure because I was working in a Verizon store because back when that happened. So I finally graduated college, and I think it was the summer of 09. So that was a solid seven years of school. And Oh, man. He was like, I, he goes, you've been watching any Cubs baseball? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I really like that Soto, right? That was the catcher that had just won Rookie of the Year. And I was like, yeah. So, like, we yeah. started talking baseball. And that, like, brought us back where, like, we had something to talk about. You know, like, I had finally, like, graduated school. 
and got a little more mature. And it's like, you know, when you go through like those hard times with somebody, it's like, you know, what do you say to him? You know, because he had said things to me that I thought like I, that really made me mad. But it was like baseball yep. sort of brought us back. And then before you know it, like he was gone. And I wish I had like so many more years with him. But like I'm thankful at least for the time sure. that we had. And it was like baseball gave us like, you know, those last good year or two that we had. You know, I used to sell watermelons um, right before I graduated college. I would go pick up watermelons from Indiana on a big ass trailer and buy like 500 <laughs> at a time. And he would come to the watermelon stand at like noon every day. And me and him would go to the VFW and have some catfish and drink a beer, you know, and just watch whatever sport was on the TV, you know. So damn good, man. And I would do anything to have that time back, man. But I'm so thankful that like those last years of us, you know, our relationship, like if it wasn't for baseball starting that back up, like I don't know what would have happened. I probably just would have continued to be a dick and been like, I don't really like that guy, you know. But baseball, like – brings those moments together you know like the moment you the moment you said with your dad i'll remember forever man that's one of the most amazing stories i've ever heard but then likewise the one with your brother too where it's like baseball like brings you guys together in a way that i mean maybe no other thing could have you know yeah and 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 i'm thankful for that it's amazing just listening to you here and talking i mean it just baseball transcends a lot of things in life a lot of you know, difficulties and struggles we're having in life and, and, you know, whether, whether it be just relationships or, or just trying to figure, figure out where we're going, you know, it, it, it seems, you know, what, what I, what I really enjoy about baseball the most is how cerebral the game can be and how thought provoking the game can be and how you can just get lost in it. And, but also very, very soothing. Um, like I, I mentioned to you, I, I've umpired a lot, um, and it's challenging at times. Yes, but there's no feeling just sitting back there behind home plate, watching a baseball game, watching it all unfold, and watching these these kids play their hearts out, and watching the coaches, and watching the fans. And yes, I'm I'm, I'm a pivotal person here, but it's not all about me. It's about what's going on. Um, you know, in front of me, I could have the weight of my weight of the world on my shoulders and all this shit and nonsense going on in my life and being stressed out. I strap on that equipment. I go back behind home plate and I call the game. It's like nothing's going on. It's all, it's so peaceful. So stress relieving. It's very almost Zen like for me to, to just to be able to do that. And, and I haven't umpired in a couple of years and, and, and I miss it. And I probably, I probably need to get back to it, but unfortunately I'm working in the restaurant industry and it's very weekend heavy, very late night heavy. So um, that's one of the things that I've had to give up lately, but that's the sacrifices you make and and that's just the way that it goes. But um, the game is very cerebral. The game is very transcending and and, in so many different ways like that. That's a really good way to explain that, man. Like I was thinking about, you know, as you were saying that story, like I wonder if a lot of, you know, baseball being so relaxing because you described it perfect. Like, I think so much of it is just like being outside. And I talked about this on, I think a few podcasts ago, like there's no clock, you know, and it's like you get like it lead the game leads to so many other things and it gives you time to think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you talk about umpiring, it's like you're outside, you're like, there's something about being outside and our busy world, I think keeps us inside so much more. 
and anytime I go outside, like it reminds me of just like, you know, I, I don't know what it does. Like it obviously reminds me of like being a kid because so many great times we had growing up were outside, but it's like inside mm -hmm. we've got electronic devices and computers and everything is hectic. And it's like when you go outside, it's a break. And I imagine when you're umpiring, like versus like me and you in our work days, like we're probably in front of a computer so much, you know, like tracking numbers and all that stuff for the work that we're in. And it's like when you're umpiring, like you don't have to rely on a computer. Like it's this manual thing you're doing, like changing the oil on your truck. You know, you're not inputting or outputting anything like you're physically putting in work. You know, you're getting down behind the catcher. Your legs are probably burning if you're like me. And you're just like manually <laughs> calling the game like something happened. Like a monster. Exactly, yeah. dude. Yeah. And like when a pitch comes, you don't have a computer telling you if it's a ball or a strike. You're making that call. You got to make and a I quick decision. Yep. And I think so much of, you know, like when you describe it as Zen like, I wonder if a lot, because I've never umpired before, but I wonder if a lot of it has to do with because you have to use your mind in a different way like non-electronically but a little more analog like if that doesn't help a yeah. little bit because you sort of get back to like the roots of being a human being which i think is helping others which is what you're doing when you're an umpire you know you're volunteering your time so you so these kids can play baseball which i think is a wonderful thing and also, you're just like manually doing the job. Like you have to put thought into it and you have to decide and make quick decisions and stuff like that because Correct. so much of our life is, Correct. you know, when we were kids, like if we wanted to, I remember right, like having to go to the library in grade school and getting like the encyclopedia and doing like, you know, where the books had like the Dewey Decimal System where you would like try to find a book in the library. And now like we don't, you we don't manually do it. Yep. It's, it's, it's a wonderful world we live in because because of electronic devices, we're having this conversation, which is a wonderful thing, you know. So it in one sense, it brings so many people together, which I wouldn't change it for the world because so many people are like, get your head out of your phone, this or that or the other. But I think the phone, a phone's a wonderful thing because it keeps us in touch with people and it allows us to work a lot quicker. But I think it's super important to sort of step away and do something manually. And it sounds like that's what umpiring is for you. And hopefully you can get back into it, you know, once, uh, you know, maybe if your schedule lets up yeah. or something, man, that would be awesome. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I, I've always felt time isn't found. It's made. You make things, you make time for the things that are important yeah. to you. And, uh, got to figure it all out man i mean that, that that that's it because uh the the enjoyment that i get out of it uh you know it's one of the things in life you just can't put a price on and i, I love being around the game and, and and umpiring is a is a unique way to 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 have to, to do that and you, you gain so much more perspective um calling a game that way and uh you know umpiring is funny it's but what's so unique about umpiring is like <laughs> just like for example like if, if you fuck up and, and and you screw up a call you know we're we're, oh, we're taught in life you know if you make errors and you screw up and you do the wrong thing you kind of got to own your shit and say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness and and make it right somehow yeah <laughs> not the same with umpire you know if you, <laughs> if you blow a call if you blow a call you gotta just even if you know it you just got to keep your damn mouth shut. You don't apologize. You don't ask for forgiveness. You just got to kind of move on, you know? And I think that's just, it's, I, I find that, that humorous, but also kind of intelligent too, that how that's a reciprocal of, of what we're taught in life when you, when you screw up to own your shit. But like when I'm firing, 
don't own it. Just move on. <laughs> the best piece of advice, and, and talk, talk, talk about transcendent things, the best piece of advice I ever got uh, for umpiring was in terms of like when people argue with you, players, coaches, fans, whatever, and they really, they're, they're really, you know, chopping it a bit to get you moving and, and, and arguing with them. The best piece of advice I got was if you keep your mouth shut, you'll never be misquoted. <laughs> and that's so damn true with, with that. So like, I just learned to just kind of grow a thick skin and let them say all sorts of outlandish shit against you. And you just kind of got to roll with it and, and, and don't, don't take ownership of your mistakes. Just let it go. Don't and, take and ownership. Just it, nope. It's a next play. <laughs> don't do oh, Never happened. I have no idea what you're talking about. And just, just move the hell out of that. I mean, I just, <laughs> so you know, that's the best piece of advice I got. And also shit. I don't know. Wear a cup. You got to wear a cup in your backpack because <laughs> you are going to get a hit with all sorts of foul balls. And man, it's uh yeah i've i've taken some shots so i'll tell you that much dude so have you ever had like did you ever have to like kick any parents out of the game like what do you do like if you make a bad call Um, and someone's letting you have it like do you literally just ignore them the whole time or do you ever have to give anybody the boot i i i tend to have a long leash with people with that i mean i you know i i do remember one time though i was the base umpire and um the partner I was working with for the game, he, um, a young kid, he was probably 17, 18 at the time. And it was, uh, it was on the big field and, um, kid hit a screamer. I was, I was in the, what they call the A position behind first base on the foul line there. Mm-hmm. And a kid hit a screamer into the gap between center and right field. And, you know, protocol is say you yell to your partner, Hey, I'm going out. So that means if he hears that and he sees you running out, um, towards just to, to see if the ball is going to be caught in the outfield. That means he kind of needs to center himself into the diamond to where he can pick up, where he can pick up uh, second and third. Okay. And I guess the rotation is if he gets that. Um, my, my rotation is after the ball hits the ground. I got to hustle because he's picking up two and three. I got to hustle towards home so I can pick up four. Should there be a play at the plate? That's my call. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, so he's kind of, you know, so, so that rotation happened and um, it ends up being a bang, bang play at third base. Cause there was, there was no runners on base. Um, it ends up being a bang, bang play at third base. And, um, and he, he called the kid out. Um, and the, coach was on third base he had he had a clear view of the play and and he felt it was a bad call and mm-hmm. young coach probably probably 20 something and he just opened up with foul language and just went fucking bananas on on, on my partner and i ran across the diamond i just tossed him right then and there because i wasn't going to put up with it he was a young umpire it was you know um it was one of his well, probably not his first game of the big field but one of his first and so I just, I wasn't going to tolerate it and I'm not going to put up with you intimidating like that and cursing him out. And, and he had to go and it was a small kind of um, league that we're playing in. Um, I want to say that uh, this was a uh, small league we had, but like we were playing against another league that came and in, in, in this, there, it wasn't the first incident with this coach. So um uh, and we had to fill out all this crazy paperwork and stuff. Long story short, I, I think they um, ended up removing the coach at that point. I, I forget all the details of it. it was many, many years ago. But uh, I just that 
when when he asked me if I had to remove somebody, that's the first story that comes to mind. I did just removing this guy because he just laid into uh, laid into my uh, home plate partner that day. Gonna have it. And there we go. That was that. Yeah, I feel like you can't lose like your respect for other human beings. And I've never like as much baseball as I've ever played. Like I've never been. And I guess really sports in general, like you can't blame like your loss on an umpire. And it seems like so many games like the umpire or the referee or whatever, like can tend to be the scapegoat. But like that to me is like sort of like a bullshit thing because, you know, if, if you've lost by one run, like it's sort of on you because you put your team in that position and it's like you know, that's sort of the luck of the draw or whatever. Like if a guy can't make a call on third base because there are only two umps on the field and they're busting their ass volunteering your, their time so your kids can play ball, it's sort of like, man, I get that the call like probably wasn't good. But one, you can't blame your team's loss on me because your team put yourself in this situation. If they were better, they would have won. But at the same time, like you got to treat me like a human being, you know, like you can't just, you know, start cussing, you know, me or my partner out on the field in front of all these kids and stuff like that because – I mean, like, it's, like, I don't just, it's almost like how, like, some fans treat athletes where almost like they're not people. So they're just like, oh, you bum, you suck, you know? And it's like, that's a human being. Like, I watched a clip the other day of, I think, like, the Astros were, I don't know where they were playing at, if it was Boston or wherever. And this kid, like, yelled over at Alex Bregman to get a picture. So Alex walks over. Then when he gets there, the kid's like, I don't want your picture, you cheater. And Alex sort of, like, smiles and walks off. And it's like, sometimes you forget, like, these people are human beings. Like, that ump, like, your partner that that guy cussed out, like, he's a human. Like, he's doing his best. He's sweating his tail off running over to third base to try to make this call. So help me God, he didn't get there in time. But if your team loses by one run, it's not on him. It's on you guys. And that's like going on so much with like this whole Astros thing, which I don't even care about it. I mean, now I'm to the point where like, if I see another article about somebody booing an Astros player or something like that, I'm like, just let it go. Like, because they won the World Series, like, you still like they deserve to be treated like a human being, but also like everybody swipes signs, but also they deserve to be treated like a human being. And that's just sort of like, I get that we all make mistakes, but I mean, that sounds like a guy that, you know, did that a few times. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm over the Astros, dude. I'm, I'm over, I'm over steroids, whatever, man. I just want to be entertained. Baseball to me, when I watch Major League Baseball, I just want to be entertained. Enter fucking tame me. I don't care if you're on steroids. I don't care if you look like American Gladiators. Whatever. I want to be entertained, to be honest with you. And, and <laughs> it sounds a little shallow saying that, but that's kind of where I am. I don't I'm just think fucking it does. Like, everybody, dude, everybody's a human being and everybody gets pushed. Like Everybody loves to hate Barry Bonds because they're like, if I did, if any time I do a post that has Barry Bonds on it, they're like, he's a disgrace to the game and he ruined the game for me. You, and I'm like, you just showed a great matchup with him and Maddox. I know. But I was enjoyed watching. I was locked in, man. Hell yeah. But if I'm Barry Bonds and everybody around me is taking steroids and I know I'm a hundred times better than them, I'm going to take some steroids, man. And it's like, yep, people exactly. act like people act like steroids are like methamphetamine. Like if you've ever spent any time in the gym, steroids are like weed, man. Like every most people have tried them once or nowhere to get them. <laughs> and none of it's that big of a deal. 
but it got demonized because Ben Johnson beat Carl Lewis like in the 1986 Olympics or whatever it was. And it's like, oh, our kids are going to take steroids and kill themselves because Lyle Alzada got a brain tumor from steroids. And it's like, no, they don't work like that, man. Like, it's not, that's not it. No, exactly. How about you educate yourself as a parent and tell your kid to fucking the realism of it and be a, you know, why don't you be the role model instead of who you're watching on TV? It's not the athlete's responsibility. They would do it. Their responsibilities to make money and, and fucking have a career. That's it. And all these guys, in my opinion, should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care. Let them all in. I don't give a shit anymore. Let Pete Rose in. Whatever. The, the guy's paid his fucking dues already. Let the guy in the goddamn Hall of Fame at this point. Enough already. Dude, the right? Hall of Fame to me sort of like the value of it's diminished to me because I'm like, you got like Roger. Hell, even they won't even let Kurt Schilling in. Because people don't like yeah. what he said. And I'm not here to judge the man for right or wrong, problem. but I'm like, yeah. this is the baseball hall of fame, not the human being hall of fame. Like, exactly. like so what's because going on? What's so- going to happen is, is what's going to happen, Quentin, and I'm telling you, it's only a matter of time is there's going to be somebody that's already in there. That's going to come out and say, I use steroids or some test is going to come from, from the fucking woodworks. And somebody in the hall of fame is already, you know, somebody already in the Hall of Fame has now been outed for steroids. And then what do you do? Then you got a fucking crisis on your hands. So, you know, it's only a matter of time before that happens. So just let everybody in. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. And, like, with the <laughs> Astros thing, too, it's, like, one of the things with the Astros is it's, like, everybody's, like, they cheated to win the World Series. But I am not a fan of people blaming their problems on other people. And the whole Astros thing to me feels like, people playing the victim. Like there was that one guy that tried to sue the Houston Astros because after he pitched against the Astros, he got sent to the minors and never played ball again. And it's like, everybody's just acting like the, everybody's just acting like the victim. And I'm like, I've never subscribed to that because I've always thought if you blame your problems on other people, you take the power to, like change out of your hands and you put it in someone else's hands. Like if I blame my problems on you, I can't fix it. You have to fix it because it's your fault. Correct. And to me, that's what this whole Correct. Houston Astros things is like. I got a, I got buddies that are Dodgers fans, right? I, I, the Dodgers have great players, but so many Dodgers fans are like, you guys stole that World Series from us. And I'm like, I don't know that you can really blame your problems on other people, man. Like obviously like you know, the Dodgers lost a few games at home in Dodger Stadium, too. But it's like, you just move on and play your game, you know, because if you continue to live in the past and like, oh, I hate the steroid era or I hate, you know, like what the Astros did, that's sort of like a pessimistic, like glass half empty approach, you know, because you said it earlier in this podcast where you were like, I just love baseball. Like, I don't care about the DH or steroids or any of that stuff. And like, it sounds funny to be like, I don't care about steroids, take them. But the real truth of it is, is what you're saying is like, I just love the game, you know? And you have to understand, yeah, like, if it. somebody, if I was, if we were ever famous enough for to where all of our actions were put in the newspaper and they were like, Quentin got drunk last night off 15 stags and he's got a 17-month-old, like, I would be a demon to people. They would be like, he's a scumbag, you know? Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> If they, if they were behind the curtain, peel back the onion, they, everybody would be at it. There would be nobody going to work on Monday morning. We all lose our jobs. Come on, who are you kidding? Exactly. So that's why I'm sort of just like, yo, we're all human beings just trying to, like, find our way through life. And yeah. you'll, you'll be happier. We all get canceled. If you just, yeah, exactly. I do. I didn't cancel long ago. And, like, yeah. we were all yeah. – 
how, how many obnoxious and rude and crude texts do we have that, yeah. we, that we've sent over the years? Come on. Nobody, nobody will be going to work yeah. on Monday morning. But I think there's just something to be said about looking at the positive in things, you know, and I feel like that's sort of what baseball's yep. taught me, you know, like you'd mentioned earlier as well. You were like, I like the different like it's cyclical. You, know, you said baseball cyclical. And I'm like, you know, I like that stuff because yep. I can appreciate it because how baseball cyclical were like you got guys crouching down trying to draw a walk and steal bases to guys hitting 450 foot bombs. It's all in reality. It's just. It's the spirit of competition in the quest to get better, you know, and we try things because we want to get better. And if they don't work, we do something else. And that's sort of what baseball is to me. And I think that's why it has so many parallels in life, because it's like, um, you know, in life, we want to be better. I think we want to be successful and, you know, enjoy our time and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll try new things, you know, like you're um, like you're in the food industry. But before that, I know me and you talked about we had both worked in wireless for AT&T, which is just a oh, hell of a geez. time. Yeah, yeah. I worked it's like, a long time ago. We, yeah. tr- we try new things, you know, and <laughs> I, I know that was, that was two careers ago for me. Dude, <laughs> it was that's about what it was for me, too, man. Dude, selling cell phones yeah. was a hell of a time, man. Yeah. What a racket, though, huh? Jeez. It was, man. Oh, it has its heyday, man. dude. Like, I remember I started working yep. at Wireless in 09, and it was about, like, all, if you had a BlackBerry with Brick Breaker on it. Like, I would make so – I mean, you did, too. I don't have to tell you. We made so much money selling cell phones in oh, the like was, the early 2000s. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because I went to yep. college, and when I got oh, out yeah. of college, I had a buddy. He told me how much he made selling phones, and I'm like – you're for real? And he's like, yeah, dude, you got to do it. I worked with people that made well over six figures selling phones. Sure. Um, like I had a guy, there, I had a buddy, Eric Shepard, who did what you did, man. He sold to, um, cause you did big accounts, right? Like business accounts and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I worked, um, when I, I moved, I went to, I, I moved out of Charlotte and what the fuck was it? It was, it was, Oh, you know, all these dates are kind of mishmash. I think it was around Oh seven or so. I moved out of Charlotte and moved up to Connecticut and I and made a little start over in life. And I, I ended up taking a job with, with AT&T um, on the government side. I was working out of an office yeah. near Hartford and I was working, you know, schools, uh, towns, municipal police, fire and all that. And it was, you know, it wasn't working. It, it was, it was a nice gig. I was traveling the state and um, <laughs> I was swinging blackberries when they were huge. Well, blackberries like, were legit. It was, it was, Oh, they were so good. And it was like, but the, the security on them are incredible. A lot better than yeah. the iPhone shit. You, you, you couldn't crack into these freaking things. Probably still can. But, um, but yeah, it, it was like a $5 rate plan that I would get these, these, these government uh, entities on. And so they jumped right all over it. So like the BlackBerry was discounted. You got a $5 rate plan. It was a no brainer. And I just, you know, I made a shit ton of money doing it. And then, then along comes 2008 when everything's in the shitter and the recession and I got, I got laid off and I was like, Oh man, I got to figure out what the hell I'm doing now. And I ended up coming back to Long Island and, uh, figured my, myself out for a little bit. I went and uh, started working in, in the social work field. I went and got a master's in social work and did that for about 10 years and got, got burnt the hell out. Um, and then I started working in the restaurant industry in the last year and a half, two years, and and, and away we go. <laughs> but yeah, craziness, right? How do you like the restaurant industry? Do you enjoy it? It's 
it's wild, man. I, I work out of, on Eastern Long Island on the, on the North Fork for this cool little banging um, taco burrito uh, reggae place. It's, it's, it's awesome. We, we, we're very active. We're, uh, we're nonstop. We're obviously in, in, at the beginning into the peak of our busy season here on the um, in here our mid June, but we'll, there's a, there's a huge catering side of the business too, that I've, I've taken uh, a lot of responsibility in that regard too. And I um, was promoted last year, just before the pandemic to the general manager position. We're a small staff. And and so um, the pandemic kind of, kind of kicked our ass staff wise and brought on so many different challenges for us to, to undertake, um, but we're just taking it in stride. Very, very thankful for the community out there that that, that has been so supportive and, and so encouraging during these during these tough days and the bleak days of the pandemic last year when we didn't know what the hell was going to happen, and uh, we've made it through. You know, thanks be, and and, and away we go. We just celebrated uh, this past weekend our, our third year um, in existence as, as, as a restaurant and, uh, we'll full steam ahead and, and uh, bursting at the seams and, and growing as, as a business. But, uh, it's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of responsibility on my shoulders, a, a lot of long, uh, a lot of long days and nights and a lot of out of the box thinking and, and, but, uh, continuously, uh, asking more and more for my small staff to step up in, in unique ways, but we're thankful for them and, and, and thankful to have this opportunity, but it, it's been, it's been wild, man. Really you know, has been. Wasn't there like, I feel like there was always like, no matter where you lived, a pretty big push to like support folks that worked in restaurants and bars because so much of their living came from people coming to see them and buying stuff and with COVID, everything shut down, you know? And yep. I think like, that's a wonderful thing. And I know like, we're in this like society of like cancel culture and like, uh, you know, like there's just a lot of people that don't get along, I guess, because of that. But like through COVID, like with all of us being like cooped up in our houses and like having all these hard times, like I think like on the other end of that, there's probably been a lot of like people coming together even more because like we've all made it through like this, like lockdown quarantine thing. And, you know, like as COVID restrictions start to lift, you know, and like, you know, you guys start to pick up and stuff like that. Like, I wonder if there's, you know, like to me, it feels like there's a lot of that. Like now it's like I'm starting to interact with people more face to face. It seems like people are happy to see people, even people that don't know each other. And like if there's one thing to come out of it, man, I wonder if it would be that where it's like, hey, we've all made it through on the other side and – you know, if there's not going to be like a sense of togetherness come into that, man, because I would imagine like you guys had just like what a big weekend, like a couple weeks ago or whatever. And then you said you guys just celebrated your three years up. And I imagine as you guys start to fill up, man, people are going to be really happy just to spend time with each other, even if they don't know people just to see other people. And hopefully, you know, as the COVID restrictions start to lift, um, I mean, you know, people will get a lot of that because at least I think I sort of feel like with people I interact with, like I'm to the point now where like, we go to grocery stores and stuff like that and nobody's wearing a mask and all those sorts of things. And it seems like people are just nice when I go out and I like that. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're understanding of it too, but it, yes, absolutely. What you're saying is like, wow, we can, we can be a maskless and, and, and we don't have to worry about the six feet apart when, when we're setting up our dining room table. And, you know, uh, luckily we have a lot of outdoor seating and, and that that's kept us through it in the warm months last year and into this year. But um, yeah, man, it's, 
it's it's wild to see the progression and and um and the happiness that that people have and and we have a good core group of regulars that I only know behind the mask and to see their their beautiful yeah. smiling faces and so happy they are that that they can come in and they can dine in the restaurant and, and hang out. We just opened up a cool little tiki bar on the outside and everyone's hanging out, having a good time, um, enjoying and relaxing themselves. And it's just a huge, big, deep uh, breath of fresh air and a step in the right direction. You know, New York just went on a couple of the news, but New York is now officially uh, uh, COVID restriction free. And, and and we can we can enjoy ourselves a little bit um, relaxing now without all these restrictions and without worrying looking over our shoulders and without getting up off our ass when we're in a seat to put a mask on to move maneuver around the building and it's so good it's so good <laughs> it's a big relief to my kitchen staff because they're sitting back there and, and, and you know it gets so hot back there when they when they're cooking Jeez, and bet, you know man. these masks just make it so tough to breathe and it's just you know they're <laughs> you know. <laughs> They are so, so relieved to not have to wear the mask so much anymore. It's great. That's a good thing, man. One of my favorite ESPN 30 for 30s is the one on Ricky Williams. And during the... Oh, no, gosh. Yes. It's so good, man. And in part of yeah, that 30 for 30, like he says, I value nice. And that's why, like, I like so much, like, seeing people come together after the COVID restrictions lift because... Like, I do it myself so bad where, like, I get stuck in my own world and I'm working from home, like, nine days a week, right? And, like, it's so easy for me just to be, like, a curmudgeon. Like, when I go out and, like, I go to the store or, like, I'm crossing the crosswalk to go in the store and, like, if you're going to run me over with your car, like, I'm going to give you a mean look and maybe flip you off. I don't really know. And, like, it's so easy to be a jerk, but I find if I take that sure. extra time, like I always remembered what Ricky said, where he's like, I value nice. Like if I take that extra time to be nice to people, I feel so much better. And that's what a lot of this podcast has given me, right? Like I'm having this conversation with you and I enjoy it so much. And, you know, like, you know, the interactions on Instagram with people leaving comments and, you know, having dialogue with people that I don't even know. Like I love that so much. And I feel like the COVID restrictions are sort of doing that where like people are being nice to each other. And I feel like everybody's quality of life just gets so much better. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to hear yeah, you guys are doing yeah. good up there, man, because New York got hit super hard, I think. Oh, we, we, man, we, we, we got our ass kicked yeah, last dude. year. It was, it was touch. It was, it was, it was tough. It was very, very touch and go there for a little while with restrictions. And we didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Um, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. It, it's, it's, you know, I, I just, you know, always working on myself. And if we're not working on ourselves, so we're not learning. We're not, if we're not learning, we're, we're, we're dying, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to learn and trying to work on just, having gratitude a little bit and um i am definitely gracious and thankful towards um the opportunity you know that we have here and 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 the regulars that come into the restaurant and and you know it's like you're saying it's a conversation starter uh for people hey it's nice to see your face finally you know and it's um, it really sparks a lot of good really sparks a lot of good edifying conversation with, with people um, to, to just be like, Hey, we're moving forward. And, and sometimes you, you know, it's not, it's not even a conversation that, that could, um, start it. It's just being in the moment and, and not having that restriction of the mask. And I know it sounds small, but it's big. It's really big to, to not have to worry about that any longer. 
And I'm so thankful for that. And I have a lot of gratitude that we're moving past this and a lot of gratitude to the community that, kept, that has kept us strong out there and kept us moving. Yeah, there's a, there's a book that I've read like 10 times and it's called Improv Wisdom, but I don't remember mm. the lady that wrote it. And in her, in that, what it does is it's not a book on how to do improv, but it's a book that takes um, like improv theories and applies them to life. Like what makes a good improviser can make a good human being. And one of the things she talks about in that book is she touches on gratitude a lot. And she yeah. even goes Thanks. as far as like, listen, if you're at work and you're sitting in a chair, like that's something you should be thankful for. Like we have so many little things in our life that we take for granted, like you know, like I'm sitting in a chair right now. Well, like my wife got me this chair. Like if she didn't order the chair, like I wouldn't have a chair, you know? And yeah. I like that sounds like so simple, but we have so much to be thankful for, you know? Like if we take yeah. our car to get the oil changed in it and it doesn't blow up the next day, well, we should be thankful for the person that changed the oil in the car because they did a good job because they could have not done a good job and my car could have blown up, you know? Or like, you know, when you go to work and you've got, you know, people in their kit in the kitchen busting their ass for you. And it's like, yeah, they're doing their job. Right. And you're paying them money to do it. But it's like we should be thankful for that because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have our livelihood. You know, and I think gratitude's a wonderful thing to have. And it's almost like if I wake up in the morning and I'm like, damn, I'm having a shitty day. I'll just look at my wife and be like, thanks for the coffee, you know, and I might not mean it in the moment because <laughs> I'm such be a curmudgeon, for, yeah. but it's like, if you find it yeah. and it's there, you know, and I feel like that's what so much of like baseball has taught me too, where it's like, you know, like I, I, I love to watch baseball and I have a daughter, right? So obviously watching baseball, there's like those family connections there, you know, where you talk about your dad and your brother, like I'll think about like my dad doing something for me when I was a kid, like this is the typical story. He comes home from work and plays catch with me. But then like, I'll think about my mom doing yep. stuff for me too, where I'm like, yeah, my dad would come home every day and play catch with me. That's baseball. But then like my wife asked me like a few months ago, she's like, did your mom make dinner for you guys every night? And I was like, yeah, every night. And she worked five days wow. a week. And like, I'd be like, yeah, we'd get a Bigfoot pizza every now and then or whatever. But like she made dinner every <laughs> night. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's like, that's not a baseball story, but like, that's a good story and I should be thankful for it, you know? So like, I'll think of, I'll even get to the point where like, I'm thankful for what people have done for me way long ago. And then it reminds me to like, Hey, I got a kid or I've got coworkers that I like might be pissed at. And I'm like, I should just do something for them, you know, like go the extra mile and send this email with the attachment so they don't have to do it. And yeah, that's a wonderful thing. It makes a difference. I mean, I remember recently, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I was just having a shitty day. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I got to work. Things got fucking worse. And I was just bitching and moaning and complaining about this and that. And I was just in a foul mood all day and, and just complaining left and right. And I said to one of my coworkers, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to shut up now. And I'm going to be thankful that I have a job to complain about. <laughs> and that was yeah, it. That and, makes and, a and, difference, and, man. And it was like... It was like it was like a check yourself moment. You know what? You can be fucking without work and, and having this ground. You know, be thankful that you have a job and that you're that you're hireable and people want you to work for them. So just shut the fuck up and deal with it and get back to work and move on. Yeah, and, dude. And, 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 and help you get through that. It, it's just gratitude. That's it. And then, like, also, like in that same book I mentioned, there's also a quote in there because, like, I sometimes like 
I wouldn't say like I don't have an anxiety problem really, but like I run so fast. If my day starts shitty, it'll just spiral out and I can't stop it. And there's a same yep. quote in that book that says, like, no matter what you want to do, you can start now. And that's sort of like the mentality of like, listen, I'm just not gonna have a shitty day anymore. Like, I'm just gonna be thankful for what I have. And it's like, you know, as we get like crazy days or crazy weeks or like if we get overwhelmed or whatever, it's like you can always sit back and have gratitude and you can just do it now. You know, it's not like today's a waste and you've got to go to bed and wake up in the morning. And, you know, I'll have to like upload the link for that book, like in this podcast or whatever, because it's a good book and it's not baseball related at all. And I forget she quoted somebody as saying it in the book, but it was like, no matter what you want to do, you can start now. And that's always been like pretty empowering for me, too, where it's like, oh, like I can just do it now. Like, I don't have to wait for like me to be in a good mood. And I feel like that's so much of like, you know, what our parents probably taught us growing up is like. You know, when you have parents and you're a kid, your parents are going to do stuff for you when they don't want to. And it's like, even if we're in a bad mood, you can always start now. And it's like, oh, I can have gratitude now, just like you said. And then like your day just gets better. And it's like, oh, damn, like this works, you know? Yeah. And and, and, and nobody wants to hear me stinking and fucking griping all the time. And and all it does (laughs) is spread negativity. I mean, why do I want to do that for? So just... You know, check yourself a little bit and be thankful for what you got and, and move the hell on. That's all. That's all it is, man. <laughs> yeah. My wife helps okay. a lot with that, though, because she's such like an all day person. Like, she'll wake up in the morning and yeah. just be like, hey, what's up? What's going on? I'm like, what? Like, I can't handle it. But what? Where am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, oh, man. man. Well, we're at a buck 24 on this thing, man. I guess we got to wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. This is great. Listen, Quentin, thank you for, for throwing us together. You, you've built a, a cool little community here of uh, baseball worshipers that, uh, you know, have really been locked into to, to what you have to, to show both on your Instagram and on your, on your podcast. I, I enjoy, I always look forward to your posts. I read them all because they're fucking hysterical. <laughs> Dude, some of the things that you say on there are, are just absolutely priceless and, and and it's so good and uh you know i guess the theme here is gratitude and, and uh i'm very very thankful to uh to spend some time and to be recorded here with, with this episode and uh hell man uh next time i'm down in charlotte man i'll hit you up we'll go grab a beer and hang out man. yeah great. hell yeah man or if i ever get to long island you know because my wife's still got family up there so she's got a pretty good nice. amount. she's got nice. like two sets of aunts and uncles up there and the whole thing but we haven't been since COVID hit man like i think the last time we went was in 2018 and then we didn't go in 2019 and then everything sort of happened yeah um, no i really appreciate yeah. being on the podcast man because it's like i'm so thankful that you've been on the podcast and like the instagram and like all the posts and stuff like all this sort of happened through like during covid or whatever and i feel like i've just made like so many friends you know and it's just like it's such a community that i'm thankful for and i think the the thing that i want to achieve most or I guess I should say the thing I want to help achieve most is to have like people like you on the podcast and talk baseball and talk about life because so many of us who like appreciate nostalgic baseball, we're in that age range, that age range of like we were born between like 76 and 85 or something. And we're all like adults. And I feel like we're trying to find our way and, you know, we can laugh at these nuances in our life and stuff like that. And, you know, if Mm -hmm. there's a spot, that can be had because I appreciate baseball so much. And it reminds me so much of different spots, like different, you know, cycles in my life or whatever. And if 
we can do stuff like this. Like, I think it's wonderful, man. And I think it, like, you know, like, I mean, we're talking about gratitude on a baseball podcast, you know, and baseball is great, but like we all live normal lives. And to be able to do that where like, you know, baseball is like that vehicle to build relationships. And I think, you know, human relationships are very important, especially like as we get older and further past high school and college, you know, it's a lot harder to make friends and make connections. And I think those people, I think those things are important as we get older, man. So, um, so thank you for being on the podcast, man. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, burning up part of your evening. So, dude, absolutely. This is, but listen, this okay. So one. let's close this out. Don't hang up because I gotta save it because this is. Yep. We. Um, <laughs> this is. Listen, I say this on every pie. I, I'm not like an electronic guru, man. To this day, listen. Well, I when, don't when, know when, how. When you when you when, when you called me, the damn thing came up as spam risk. I was like, oh, fuck, is this It's because you got an iPhone. Yeah, man. Yeah. Listen yeah. to this shit. Yeah. I I started recording this podcast like in 2016 in my, or 2017. And my wife's like, you know what you're doing? And like I'm watching like these YouTube tutorials. And I uploaded one podcast and it worked. And my wife's like, how did it do it? And I'm like, I have no fucking clue how it worked. I haven't changed my process for five years and it's kept working. So if it ever doesn't upload, I'm completely lost. So what happens is after I record with a guest, I have to save it because I'm not saving this on a backup file. So if my computer dies, this whole conversation is gone. So what I have to do (laughs) is I have to like, after we close out our conversation, I'm like, stay on the line because I worry if you hang up, it'll all go away. So when this ends, I hit stop and then I have to hit save, name the file. And then I'm like, okay, let's hope this works because professional podcasters, they've got like this backup device to where like if the power goes out, they don't lose their conversation, all this fancy shit. Oh, yeah. And I'm like calling you through a Skype account (laughs) that I pay three bucks a month for. GarageBand. We got we got amateur hour going here. That's I love exactly it. Exactly it, dude. And I'm just like, what the fuck do I do? All right, man. Hey, don't That's hang great. up. And thanks for being on the show, Ed. Got it. All right, here Good. we go. Later, thanks, dude. Talk to you. You'll see you.